How many of you would love the opportunity to open a door to win a car? Has anyone in here ever been on a game show? No? I haven't either. Uh, I had some friends in college, some friends that I worked with when I was a, I was a waiter at Red Lobster back in the day. And uh, a bunch of them took a road trip uh, during the summer, went to The Price is Right, got on the show, actually won the showcase showdown on The Price is Right, won all kinds of crazy stuff, a couple ski, you know, uh, jet skis, um, I think a hot tub, just crazy, which was really awesome until when? Tax time. We were young college students and we had no idea, well, we, I wasn't responsible for the bill, but she had no idea what was coming because, you know, like it was just, they were lucky just to afford the trip to, uh, to go out there, much less pay taxes on all the winnings, so most of whatever she won ended up getting sold to pay the taxes. But uh, it was pretty cool uh, at the time to know somebody who was on the show and, and won everything. And um, unfortunately, we're not giving away any cars today, so I hope nobody got their hopes up. But uh, I want to welcome you to church this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. And we're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, we're in week four of a, a series, that, or week three, excuse me, of a series that we're calling I Am. Now, if you're new with us or haven't been here in a while, we have been strategically walking through the Gospel of John uh, together uh, for several months. Um, but at, occasionally we're taking breaks and, and doing something a little different rather than just going verse by verse by verse. And right now we are doing a survey of the seven times in the Gospel of John when Jesus utters the words, I am. And so we uh, are in week three, week one, we talked about when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we talked about what that means for him. Um, to be that for us. Last week we talked about uh, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And today, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about when Jesus says, and I am the door. And so if you would like, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. If you brought your Bibles, great. If you want to use one of ours that we put in one of the seats, great. If it's easier, just pull out your phone or your tablet. You can open up your Bible app, and that makes it a lot quicker to get right where you're going to need to go. Now, most or many of the scriptures that we're going to look at today will actually be on the screen to make it a little easier. Um, some of them will not, and there's a reason that I chose not to do that, uh, which we'll explain later. Um, when you walked in this morning, you were handed what we call a worship guide, and on the back side of the worship guide is just some blank space. Blank space for you to write notes um, if there's something that interests you that you want to think about further, uh, if there's a scripture that you would uh, maybe like to read or study later, um, unfortunately, I'm not the kind of preacher who's very good at filling the blanks, so you have to make up your own blanks and then fill them in uh, as we go. But that space is there for you. And so maybe if we hit a scripture that isn't on the screen, you can have that opportunity to write it down and you can read it or remember it later. Um, so let's jump into John chapter 10 and we'll start in verse 1, and it says this, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So in this section of scripture, these first six verses, I, I really want to just highlight 
two things before we move any further. Um, so clearly Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people, and he's using some analogies or metaphors um, to communicate to them. Uh, in the same way when he said that I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, um, he's using a metaphor to, to signal, uh, to signify something special, something different about who Jesus is and the role that he plays in this world in our lives, uh, and he's trying to draw um, some comparisons between maybe what we already know about light and what that might mean or teach us or speak to who Jesus is and the role he plays in our world or in our lives. So he's going to do this again. And so he begins to tell this kind of personal uh, metaphor that involves the crowd, um, but obviously uses figurative language, and the crowd is not following. They're not exactly sure where Jesus is trying to go. Here in a minute, he'll get a little more explicit. But there are two important pieces of what we've read so far that I want to, to highlight. And the two key aspects of this story um, are the door and the shepherd. And so Jesus is, in both examples, in, in this whole story, we, the people who believe and embrace and follow Jesus, are the sheep. Um, now, if you know anything about sheep, maybe it's a compliment, maybe it's not, but um, regardless, we're the sheep in this story, those who would believe and follow and trust Jesus, if you put yourself in that category. And so there's two aspects of the story. Jesus says, first of all, only a legitimate shepherd comes in through the gate, through the door. Anyone who tries to get in another way is illegitimate and is a thief and a robber. So there's something about the door that has significance. But then he also goes on to say that the sheep know the shepherd. They'll follow him wherever he leads. A stranger, they don't recognize his voice and they will not follow him. And so there's something special about the shepherd who the sheep know and trust. And there's something special about the door. And we're going to talk about the door today and we'll talk about the shepherd next week. And so we'll jump on to verse 7. And continue on with this. So, in light of verse 6, that uh, the crowd did not understand what he was saying to them, Jesus would get a little more explicit and says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. We all have doors in our lives. Jesus can use a metaphor, then so can we. We all have doors in our lives, decisions that we have to make. Sometimes those decisions come down to three doors, or maybe one gets eliminated and you're down to two doors, and some of you are still going, how did it just go from a 33% chance to a 66.7% chance of success? And if we can solve that math problem. It's called the Monty Hall problem uh, after church today. Uh, but maybe you've got three doors or two doors or you're trying to decide between two really good options or maybe you feel like there are a hundred doors in front of you and you're expected to open the right one. We all have doors, choices to make in, in life. Sometimes we have big doors. Doors that represent decisions that are life-altering. Sometimes they're small doors. They seem like simple day-to-day Decisions, and sometimes small doors end up actually being big doors. At a certain point in the history of God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they had gone through some rough patches. 
they had been disobedient and they had suffered the consequences and um, God was just about to reward his people uh, on condition that they were going to trust him and follow him and obey him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, the leader at the time of the people, um, says this. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. He's talking about this, the huge assembly of people in the nation of Israel at this point. Against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Sometimes this happens on an individual level. Sometimes this happens on a corporate level. But we are given a decision. For these people, Deuteronomy, at this time, it was a decision. Do we want to follow God and trust him and receive the blessings he has for us? Or do we want to do things our own way? And Moses, the leader at the time, said, it's the difference between choosing life and choosing death. Which one are you going to choose? I'm going to guess everyone in this room wants to choose life. Now, maybe everyone in this room would answer that question a little differently. What does it mean to choose life? How does that work out in, in your life? What are the options available for you to choose life? Now, maybe we would answer that question differently, but I think we'd all agree, if I have to choose life or death, I would prefer to open the door to life. God says this about our decision-making sometimes. Proverbs 16, 25 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Sometimes what we think is the right thing, the door we want to open to lead to life, turns out that it doesn't. Again, I think we could all agree in this room that we don't want to make that mistake. Now, I think most of us in here probably today would also say, I want to choose Jesus as my life. I want to make him the bread of life for me, the light of the world in me. I want to go through the legitimate door that Jesus is talking about here. Now, here's what we could do. We could spend a lot of time talking about all the doors in our life, all the options we have, and, and all the choices that come before us. But the reality is we would spend all of our time together today and not even scratch the surface of the doors and the options available to us. So rather than talking about all the doors, all the options, what I want us to do is I want us to at least think and talk about what it means to choose Christ. If you were to say today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you have already settled this in your life, that, that I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to trust him to be the door for me. So that I can enter into this sheep, this flock of his, so that I can be counted as one of those sheep, one of his who knows his voice and follows him and trusts him. I want to be one of those. What does that mean for you? Because there's no way that we could possibly examine every option, every choice, every door in your life and go through all of the consequences of those doors. But rather, let's focus on one. And think through what it is that Jesus has said it means to choose him. Some of these will be very encouraging, and some of these are going to be quite challenging. And I hope that you're ready to embrace both this morning. Now, here's where it, we get to that point where the scriptures are not on the screen. There's a number of them. And so what I'd rather you do is listen and think. Think about what it means that if I choose Jesus, this is 
what he has promised me. This is what it means. For some of you, maybe that means you, you stop and you close your eyes. For others of you, closing your eyes right now is the worst thing you could do because you'll fall asleep. Are you all with me? You're afraid to laugh because it was true? I get it. It's cold. It's cold. It's okay. Uh, so maybe you want to close your eyes and think, or, or, or maybe you, you have other methods of concentrating, or maybe you want to write down these scripture references. They won't be on the screen, but I will give them to you. The first one, Jesus says this in Matthew 11, 28-30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, open this door. Open my door. Because when you enter in here, you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders any longer. That's a burden I will bear. The burden that I'll give you is easy and light, and brings rest. Philippians 4.9, Paul says this, a man who had uh, experienced every high and low of life that you could ever imagine, says this, verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, if you know the context of Philippians 4, it doesn't mean that, you know, ask God and say, I need a new car, I need to be on the prices right, and he'll give that to you. What he says is not, my God will supply your every want, but my God will supply your every need. Those things that you need most in life, God says, you trust me because I'll take the burden for providing those. Matthew 7, starting in verse 11, excuse me, starting in verse 7 to verse 11, Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus says, you, you open up this door. Because with me, you have access to things that you would never have access to on your own. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, this is Jesus speaking of all, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. When you open up this door, Jesus says, my grace is all you need. To the point that we can celebrate and boast in our weaknesses. So many of the doors in our world and in our life promise us strength. That all of your problems, all of your worries, all of your concerns, all of your weaknesses will be taken away. And Jesus says, when you walk through my door, you can boast in your weakness because that's where I become strong. That's where my power goes on display in your life. If you'll choose me. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That for those who have given their lives to Christ, who say, I trust you and I love you and I'll obey you, God says everything will work out 
for the good according to how God sees it and desires it. But that we can know that God is in control. Romans 8, just a few verses down from what we just read, verses 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you walk through this door, you walk into a confidence knowing that there is no other thing in this world that can separate you from the love of God. The love that you experience and find when you choose Jesus, when you say, I'll walk through that door. Those are all verses we love. Those are verses that we want to put on a t-shirt or a coffee cup if you're into like the cheesy Christian marketing stuff. We love those verses and they're all true. They're all true about what it means to walk through that door and embrace Christ. But Jesus also challenged his followers to count the cost. To count the cost of what it means to follow him. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25 down to verse 33. It says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, that's Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying, like, we're not allowed to have possessions, we shouldn't have children or spouses, or we shouldn't care for our parents? No, what the Bible teaches is that children are a blessing from the Lord. That you give credit to God for finding your spouse. That material blessings in life are just that, usually blessings from God. What he's saying is, count the cost before you open this door. It's not that God asked you to get rid of it all. What Jesus is saying is, but if he did, would you still walk through the door? Is Jesus still worth it? Is he still worthy enough that if it cost you everything, you would still walk through that door? Luke 9, starting in verse 23, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But what does it profit a man to gain, if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? There are a lot of doors that offer a lot of great things in this life. Jesus says, what does it profit someone to open all the doors and give them everything they could want if in the end they don't get what they most need? If in the end they don't get what they were created for? Jesus says, count the cost. Is it worth it to you to pick up your cross to 
be willing to die to anything and everything for the sake of following me. <coughs> Paul applies this to his life in this way. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The God who says, would you be willing to give it up? Would you be willing to sacrifice it all for me? Was in fact the one who sacrificed it all for us. He says, this is what it means to take up your cross. It means to die to yourself. To allow Christ to live in and through you. That's what it means to walk through this door. Do you get all the blessings and the benefits? You, you better believe it. But it also comes at a cost because walking through this door means you die to yourself. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We choose this door. We walk through this door choosing Christ. Counting everything as loss for the sake of knowing, treasuring, and gaining Christ. We open and walk through that door because everything it may cost us is worth it. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, this is what we get when we walk through that door, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, now though for a little while, if necessary, you may have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ Peter says all these beautiful and wonderful things that we get that we inherit by choosing Christ in the end helps to lead us to a new place part of the cost of choosing Christ is going through the refinement process. We all like the benefits and the blessings that come on the other side of being refined, but the refinement process itself is not easy. We're always pain-free. I'm not much of a metal worker, but I know how they purify gold. They put it in a fire, heat it up, and as it becomes liquid, molten, the impurities rise to the surface. They scrape it off. And the more pure the gold, the more times it goes through this refinement process. They cool it off and they put it back in the fire and they melt it 
the impurities rise up and they scrape them off. Everybody loves pure gold. Everybody wants to be that in their lives, but the refinement process can be painful, and that's part of the cost of choosing to follow Christ. And while part of the great cost of choosing Jesus is the refinement process, sometimes the pain will come from the outside. John 15, starting in verse 18, Jesus says this to his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the wor word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter says it this way, Beloved, do not be surprised, in 1 Peter 4.12, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I want to read one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found within our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and affliction and hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, Riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet our truth, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. The reason we choose Christ, the reason we count the cost and decide that the cost of following Jesus is worth it, the reason we're willing to take whatever it is that the world may think, say, or do about us is right here. Paul said, as unknown, yet fully known. That's what he says about us. It's unknown because the world doesn't understand us. Doesn't understand why we would count the cost and find it worth it to follow and embrace Jesus. To say that I'll walk through that door and walking through that door means I die to myself. As unknown, yet as fully known. Because God fully knows us and knows what we need. He knows how to sustain and take care of us. He also said this, as having nothing yet possessing everything. As being willing to say, I'll count everything in my life as loss. That I would be willing to give it all up to follow Christ. As counting everything as loss, yet having everything we need. Knowing that whether we have everything we would enjoy now or nothing that we would enjoy now in the end we'll have everything that's why we choose this door that's why we walk through it <clears throat> Romans 5 
verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good, good one, good person, one would dare even die, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us I realize we've read a lot of scripture today, probably more, a lot more than we normally but here's why you need to know what it means to open that door you don't need to know what I think it means or how it feels for me, but what Jesus has said, this is what it means to open this door, to choose me. This is what this is what it will be. These are the great costs that you'll incur, and these are the great blessings you'll receive. Count the costs. Jesus said to that great crowd, "How foolish would it be for someone to build a tower without having started with a budget and a plan, so that he knew he had the resources and the time to finish what he started." How foolish would it be for a king to go into battle not knowing whether or not he had enough men to win? Because if he didn't have enough to win, what would he do? He'd send a peace delegation out ahead. That's what Jesus said to the crowd. Count the cost of following me. Do you want to walk through this door? Do you want me to be that door for you? Jesus was telling this story. So there's something special about the door because only those who are legitimate come through the real door. There's something special about the shepherd because the sheep only know his voice. Everyone else is a stranger. As the crowd is looking at each other going, what did he mean? What is he trying to say? He says, I am that door. I am the way in. Count the cost before you open that door. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for our time together. This morning, I thank you like I do every week. You consider it an honor to be here to read your word, to celebrate your goodness, to pray to you, to hear from you, For our lives and our hearts to be opened to who you are and what it is that you want to do in this place, in this moment. Would you continue to speak to us each now in this moment? I want to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment, if you will. Those of, of you who are familiar uh, with Element, you come regularly, and each week you know the time we're entering into now. For those of you who are new or have been here in a while, this is what we call our response time. An opportunity to respond to who Jesus is and what he has called us to. And it's an open invitation 
It's an open invitation because it's open to everyone, and it's open because it's it's open to how you want to respond, to how God's leading you. In a moment when I'm done, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to leave you seated. And some of you are going to want to stay right where you are, and you're going to think and pray and meditate. Some of you are going to want to stand and sing and celebrate the goodness of Christ because you've counted the cost find it worth it. Find him worth it. For some, maybe now your mind is going to the fact that the God who has called us to be willing to sacrifice it all is the one who himself has sacrificed it all. One of the ways that we remember and worship and celebrate that moment when Jesus died on the cross for us is through communion. The night before his crucifixion, his last meal with his disciples he took some bread and he broke it and he passed it around the table and he said this now represents my body which is broken for you he took a cup and he passed it around he said this, this cup now represents my blood that is poured out for you and he told his disciples do this in remembrance of me and so for the last 2,000 years that's what we've been doing we've been, we've been taking the bread and taking the cup to remember the God who has for us not the God who waited for us to clean up our act, fix ourselves. Not the one who, who left it up for us to, to guess which door was the best. The, the God who went before us, made the way, with extended arms, gave an invitation for any who would believe and desire to come through that door. What does it look like to choose Jesus? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you will believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he was who he said he was, that he did in fact have the power to defeat sin and death, that all of the promises he's given us he, in fact, is the one who has the power to fulfill those promises. And if you'll confess that Jesus is Lord, if you will make that conscious decision to walk through the door, to believe in him, to embrace him, to give your life to him. If you've never done that, maybe this morning is that you walk through that doorway. The door is open. The invitation is there. Jesus says, will you believe and will you Confess, not for me to be your Savior, but to be your Lord. Renounce your own authority on your life and let me have it. Because it's worth the cost. If you've never done that, would you do that this morning? In your own words, right where you sit, praying to Jesus, tell them that you believe you want him to be the Lord of your life. As we move into our response time, maybe some of you need time to think about that and pray. Some of you are feeling led in other directions, whether it's the communion table, whether it's in more prayer, whether it's in more worship. The invitation is open to you to respond to how God is leading you this morning. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Would you continue to move and to speak and our lives. We love you and trust you.